0: I want to welcome those of you that are uh, visiting this morning maybe you're our first time guest here at grace i want to especially take this moment in our service to to welcome you and thank you for being here with us today and uh, if you would be so kind and help us out by filling out the guest card it's actually available for you uh, through a qr code it's printed on the small card in front of you in the pew in front of you and uh, if you scan that it'll take you to a place where you can answer a couple of questions for us and tell us a little bit about yourself, and then we can get back with you and follow up with you should you have any questions or feedback on our ministry. We would like to have the opportunity to speak with you about those things. The QR code looks just like the one on the screen behind me, and so I'd invite you to take some time and and, uh, fill that out for us this morning. Well, here we are, we are day two into a brand new year, and I'm wondering how your brand new year of 2022 has begun. I want to tell you a little bit about uh, how our year has begun, and also tell you uh, this by way of introduction to the message, but also as a as a way of prayer request. Um, a few months ago, back in August or so, um, my wife started having some strange symptoms, and I wasn't feeling great off and on. And uh, so we uh, didn't think too much about that. She had been getting over um, COVID and all those things, like the rest of us and uh, for off and on for a period of time she was kind of out of commission a day or so here and uh, we went away uh, after last sunday's uh, time together on monday we left we went to delaware to see some family and uh, while we were there on tuesday morning we were scheduled to go up to see her brother who lives up near the pennsylvania border and uh, we got we were getting ready and michelle said i don't feel so good (laughs) i don't feel very good and so uh long story very long story short i'll give you the very brief story this morning uh she ended up having to stay home and for the next couple of days she was kind of incapacitated couldn't do very much and so on uh, i guess it was thursday we finally decided let's you know get back to wilmington and friday she started to feel better and then yesterday she didn't feel much better she actually felt much worse and so we ended up in the emergency room yesterday and uh my wife ended up with an emergency call um appendix surgery, Uh, appendectomy, there it is. (laughs) Appendectomy, I've been reading about, thinking about appendixes for the last 48 hours, I couldn't think of the word. Uh, She had an appendectomy yesterday, what happened on Tuesday, they believe, it actually had ruptured, and by God's grace, this is an amazing couple of things by God's grace, as if we're always surprised by God's grace, is when an appendix ruptures like that, it can actually adhere to Um, part of your bowel, and when that happens, they have to actually take a portion of your bowel out in addition with the appendix. That did not happen. However, it did adhere itself to her abdominal wall, which sounds horrible, and she is not doing well this morning, by the way. She's not feeling well. She's hopefully watching online this morning. I don't know. Um, But she's not been feeling well. She's still in the hospital. They actually said that that actually prevented some of the leakage from getting out into the rest of her system. So pray for her. But as i think about that i told her this morning i said i said now honey don't get nervous because i'm not going to mention you until the sermon because you just gave me a great opening illustration i really (laughs) appreciate that Um, i have a horribly warped sense of humor at times my wife is used to it she got good doses of it throughout the day yesterday that's how i deal with life i guess but as i was thinking about my wife's now missing appendix it really is in a very real sense a picture of how we try to do life we try to do life by dealing with symptoms i don't feel so good my side kind of hurts i can't stand up i ought to take some ibuprofen i ought to take some pepto-bismol and feel better and we do feel better until we don't and we do the same thing spiritually We we look at our life and we begin to say, here's the answers to life's problems. And I just do A, B, and C and everything's going to be okay. And yet, you know, as well as I know, that doing A, B, and C and everything working out okay is not how life works. Because you and I have a much deeper problem than simply dealing with the symptoms that we can see. We have a heart problem. You have a heart problem. I have a heart problem because we have a sin problem. And we go through life, we actually even do ministry this way. I had a lot of time to read yesterday, so I'm a little jacked up. We do this in ministry all the time. We just want to fix symptoms, but we won't, don't want to get to the root of our problem. We don't want to actually delve into the problems that are causing our ultimate and you know what the reality is that is not new to you it is not new to me it has always been the plight of humanity ever since Adam chose to sin against God we have been plagued by our sin nature and we are very comfortable dealing with superficial things and we're very comfortable in taking on a leave and feeling better that's good it at least covers the pain it covers the problem Well, we have been, if you were not here last week, we are actually studying through Isaiah chapter 55. And in Isaiah 55, we are seeing that Isaiah's message to the people of Israel is a very pointed message. It's a very profound message. It's actually a very timely message for us. And let me just set the stage for you for the book of Isaiah, just ever so briefly this morning. The news that is going to be delivered by the prophet Isaiah is not good news. We were sitting in the yard ER yesterday hoping that the doctor would come in and say, oh, it's all good. And instead he came in and he goes, yeah, it's definitely, you got a really bad appendix. It's got to come out. It's not the news we wanted to hear. Isaiah is going to give some very profound, heart wrenching news to the people of Israel. You got a much bigger problem than a ruptured appendix. You have a desperately sinful heart. Not only do you have a desperately sinful heart, you are a person that is prone to pursuing idolatry to the point that you reject your creator. You see, the message from the prophet Isaiah is a very powerful one, but thankfully, he doesn't just simply deliver kind of the the bad news, if you will. He is going to give us the solution of how we, as sinful humanity, how do we we address this issue? How do we, as a ministry, address this issue? Let me also, I did this last week, but I want to reiterate this a little bit, to put the book of Isaiah into historical context okay Isaiah was a real man who really lived who really walked this earth who really wrote part of scripture under the real direct inspiration of almighty god And Isaiah was also ministering in a particular culture. He was called to reach a particular people. And if you're familiar with Old Testament Israel, again, let me give you a very brief synopsis of this because it's very profoundly important in this passage we're going to be studying today, is that the people of God... The chosen nation of Israel that God had called out from all other nations and said, you will be a nation different from all of the others. And through you, my good news of redemption is going to be proclaimed. And yet time and time and time and time again, Israel failed. And God says that even though you have failed me, through you is going to come the Messiah, Christ. He's going to be born through the nation of Israel. Well, we have been we'll get back to this probably in the first part of february we've been studying the life of david here at grace we've looked up to his becoming king and now we're going to look at some of his time as king in a month or so but you think about david he unified the kingdom it was the pinnacle of existence of the nation of israel after david came his son solomon it was also a unified kingdom however cracks began to appear in the foundation after Solomon is king the kingdom is then divided to the north and to the south Israel to the north and the tribe and the nation of Judah if you will to the south as a part of God's judgment upon his people for their relentless pursuit of immorality and their relentless pursuit of idolatry God sent his people into captivity he took them out of the land And in 722 B.C., the northern part of Israel was taken over by the nation of Assyria. The Assyrians took the people of God into captivity in the year 722. 536 B.C., the southern kingdom, Judah, is taken into captivity by a man by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. He takes them into captivity and he places them in Babylon. Let's just pause there for a moment. From all human perspective, Israel is toast. They're they're done. They have been taken out of the land. Clearly, God is done with them. However, he isn't. Isaiah is a very interesting prophet because his ministry started around 740 B.C. and it runs up to 700 B.C. Why is that important? Well, he is writing before during and after the northern kingdom is taken into captivity, and he is writing before Judah falls into captivity. That is why his message is so profound, especially the message that we find in chapter 55 and in chapter 6, which we'll allude to as well is that if you continue to go down the path that you are going down nation of israel there is going to be profound consequences for your sin in the reality of going into captivity some writers refer to the book of isaiah as the fifth gospel we understand that the gospels are new testament books And yet, in Isaiah, we find, leading up to chapter 55, the prophet is describing Israel's problem. He makes the diagnosis, and now in chapter 55, he's going to give us the remedy. Here's what you do about it. Here's the answer. The answer isn't to cover your your symptoms. The answer isn't to simply correct a few outside behaviors. The answer is much deeper than that. Grace Baptist Church, over the next few weeks, we are going to be studying our purpose statement. Grace Baptist Church exists. Why? To entertain and amuse humanity. Nope. If you're here for entertainment and amusement this morning, you're profoundly disappointed. I won't bore you on purpose. But we're not here to amuse you. We're not here to entertain you. We're not here to impress you. Grace Baptist Church exists to make and mature disciples for the glory of God. That's why we're here. How do we then, last week we started studying, how do we make disciples? We're going to start there. How do we do this? What's the magic sauce? What's the magical argument to argue somebody into heaven? Pastor, give it to us. Well, over the next few weeks, I'm going next today, especially, I will profoundly disappoint you. Because the magic sauce is not as simple as you might believe. And the magic sauce actually doesn't exist, despite the plethora of books that are written today. Just do A, just do B, C, just do B B and C, and voila, you're going to have a ministry of 5,000. And your life is going to be great. Really? Is that the answer? I want you to notice in Isaiah 55, we won't read the first five verses again. If you want that message, it's out there on the internet somewhere, you can listen to it. But I want you to look at verse one, first of all, and notice where Isaiah begins, uh, this 55th chapter, he says, come. Again, he has outlined for them the problem. You're in trouble. You're in big trouble if someone that you know or in this room is an unbeliever in other words that's a fancy word I guess to simply mean you've never put your faith in Christ yes this message is for you this morning but believer this is equally for you because he says come Every, who everyone everyone who thirsts come to the waters and he who has no money Come, buy, and eat. Today, after we are finished and you go to your favorite restaurant, just say to them at the table, go to the fanciest restaurant in town and say, I don't have any money, but I want to eat. And sit down and see what happens. There's some police officers in the room this morning. You might get to know one of them personally should you do something like that. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Enjoy the banquet of the Lord. It is set before you. And it won't cost you a penny. By the way, this picture of living waters, again, I talked about this in the message last week, but Jesus used this imagery that he is the living water. Come, buy. Buy what? Buy wine, buy milk, without money and without price. Israel, wake up! church wake up verse two why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor and which does not satisfy listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food he's not talking about your favorite buffet he's talking about God himself Incline your ear, come to me. Hear that your soul may live for all of eternity. So what's the magic bullet? How do we get people to believe that? What's the airtight argument to convince them to put their faith in Christ? Well, he's going, Isaiah is going to outline for us how this is accomplished notice you can read the other verses for yourself notice verse six isaiah says seek the lord while he may be found call upon him while he is near let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts let him return to the lord that he may have compassion on him and to our god for he will abundantly pardon what is the answer the answer is forgiveness of sin the answer is repentance THE ANSWER IS HOLY SPIRIT-EMPOWERED call to redemption that someone recognizes their sinfulness and someone realizes that their sin is a violation against God and there is this seeking of the Lord when he can be found a call on him when He's near to forsake their sin and to uh, bring their sin before God because he will have compassion on them and he will pardon them and there is nothing in you inherently that can convince anyone to do that that only comes to the power and the working of the holy spirit of god which we'll talk more about in a moment you see the fundamental problem with all of us is not our unmet needs it is our violation of god's law i was reading yesterday. i told you i had lots of time to read yesterday i've been i read multiple books over vacation and i read one of the books i was reading this pastor was talking about The process, I'm way ahead of myself, but I'll say this here while I think of it. He was talking about the process in seminary he was taught on how to preach. He said, preaching in his seminary training, let me be clear up front, I radically disagree with what I'm getting ready to, and so does he, by the way, radically disagree with what I'm getting ready to tell you. He said, I was taught, not me, the the writer, he was taught that you think about your church And you come up with an unmet need that your church has he said then you write five or six bullet points down of what you think ought to be done about that problem and then you go find this is his words you go find verses of scripture to prove it let me ask you this who's the authority in that methodology of preaching the preacher right this is what I think we ought to talk about by the way this writer goes on to say the only true genuine way to preach God's word is expositionally this is what God said this is what it means this is what we do and so when we think about the fundamental problem if it is simply our unmet needs we're in trouble If my wife's biggest problem was she had a low-grade fever and a little pain in her side if that was her biggest problem then ibuprofen would work but when there is an undercurrent an underlying issue that must be resolved the answer isn't three easy steps to feeling better the answer is a changed redemptive repentant heart and if we gloss that over ever as a church we are we are in trouble because we won't give anybody the answers this isn't a condemnatory statement to other churches i'm simply telling you what i see and what i read one pastor said this by the way he said oh i go weeks before i mention the bible in my sermons he said because i got to win a crowd first I do a cool series and I and I package it really cool. And then for four or five, six weeks, I get the people coming back. And then maybe six, seven weeks into my sermon, my my sermon series, I, put, I hit them with the word of God. Shame on him. Shame on him. Because it is about what did God say? And we can talk about symptoms and how to make you feel better, and we would all we might as well go to Starbucks today because the, by the way, his church, I happen to know it, it looks like a coffee shop, and he's cool, he's cooler than me. he's a better speaker than me. absolutely. but what is he telling people? You see, Isaiah says that our primary problem is not. A disconnect in our, in our lives for our unrealized dreams and our unmet needs. It is the chasm between us and our creator that has been created by our own personal sinfulness. And so while the culture may hate what I'm getting ready to say, they may deny it, I may be labeled who knows what, don't really care, but God's Word directs sinners to comprehend their sin so they can confront it, confess it, and receive Christ as their only Savior. That's the truth of the Scripture. Now, understanding Isaiah is writing hundreds of years before Jesus comes, and he's one of the Old Testament prophets that is one who spells out what this messiah will look like and when he comes and what his life and ministry will be and that he will lay down his life for sinners like you and sinners like me and notice here isaiah there's a sense, very real sense of urgency in this he says let the wicked forsake his way when call upon him now while he is near in a timely manner now you may be here today and maybe you've never really understood christianity you have questions about christianity you're not sure what salvation means and i would love to talk to you in more detail or someone can after the service that's great but this applies to believers too don't delay to get your life in order stop living for the worldly appraisal of men stop living for your selfish unmet needs or your unrealized dreams repent of your sin when now while the lord is near now notice don't miss isaiah's profound message when we return to the lord he will have compassion on you and he will abundantly pardon you there is forgiveness of sin see if i just got up here and talked about sin and ranted and raved about that and that's oh that's well, hey yay it's all true but the good news is there is an eternal pardon available to all who believe. Everyone who thirsts, everyone who has this spiritual desire, everyone who calls on the name of Christ, regardless of background, regardless of socioeconomics, any of those things don't matter. Everyone who hungers for God, he, no matter what you've done, by the way, he will abundantly pardon you i want you to keep your finger there and i want you to go back to isaiah 6 for a minute because i feel like sometimes isaiah 6 is one of those chapters that we know the beginning we hear it in a whole lot of missions conferences you probably have heard this preached many different times and you probably are very familiar with this text and maybe you're not and that's okay too but in the first seven verses of this chapter i'm not going to read them for sake of, of time in the first opening verses six six verses or so of the seven verses of this chapter isaiah receives his call to prophetic ministry and it's beautiful right He says, who am I to go speak for the Lord? I'm just a man of unclean lips. And and God says, I will purify you and I will be the empowerment behind your message. That's great, man. That calls people to ministry. It's curious to me that we stop at verse number seven. Because in verses eight through 13, we get a detailed description of what Isaiah's ministry actually is going to be. Notice what God tells him. Verse 8, Isaiah 6. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And whom will go for us? The us there doesn't inherently prove the Trinity, but it certainly is a strong indicator of the idea of the Trinity. Then I said, Isaiah speaking, Here am I, send me. Oh, can't you just see the missions conference now? Here am I, Lord, send me. I'll go. Notice what God says next. And he said, Go and say this to the people Isaiah, when you go, here's what you're going to do. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Okay, let me summarize it. Isaiah, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go preach my word, preach the prophecies that I give to you, tell them that they are in desperate need of salvation, in desperate need of repentance, so they don't go into captivity. And here's the good news, Isaiah, they are not going to listen to a word you say. In fact, Isaiah, the more you speak, the harder their hearts will become. And so when people say, oh, God's a God of justice, he's cruel. I can't believe he would hold people accountable for their sin. Are you kidding me? He sent them a prophet ordained by God himself, warning them of coming judgment. And they said, hey, no, thank you. We don't want anything to do with it. I've heard this saying, and you probably have heard it too, the same sun that melts the snow, bakes the clay. And yeah, this wasn't God's fault that Isaiah rejected, excuse me, the people of Israel rejected Isaiah. It was their hard hearts that rejected. Isaiah, the more you preach, the less they're going to listen. And you know what? It's going to be a rough road for you, buddy. Okay, now how's the missions conference altar call? You're going to fail. You see, there's the problem, isn't it? Churches are far too concerned with what business world calls success. If we were to take Isaiah's ministry and put it up against our little board of what success means, you know what, Isaiah, let's put it in New Testament terms, how big is your church? Nobody comes, they all hate me. They don't even listen to a thing that I say. Oh man, Isaiah, buddy, you need, you need a refresher course. You better get the latest, coolest fad and program. And you better get some fancy praise band. And you better start rocking the house, baby, so that you can have this huge crowd. What do you, I think about this. What you win people with is what you win them to. And if we win them with a cool show, then why are they here? isaiah is told preach the word isaiah even when they reject you isaiah wouldn't be on the new york times bestseller list right now he wouldn't be selling the popular books right now because he's not cool he's not hip he doesn't have the flashy program he doesn't have the flashy performance now isaiah being the human being that he was verse 11 then i said how long how long lord okay god i said here am i send me i will go do this but how long he said until the cities lie in waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is desolate waste And the lord removes his people far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land you are going to preach this message until they are so hardened in their sin that i take them into captivity i'm going to remove them from the land and their cities are going to be destroyed the land is going to be decimated but isaiah you're going to preach now that would be a very discouraging moment i think until we kind of read verse 13 and the tenth remain in it it will remain burned again like the terebin of an oak whose stump remains when it is felled the holy seed is its stump i will preserve a remnant i'm not done with israel in fact what's interesting the people that stayed in the land during the exiles they thought they were the righteous ones when in reality god took the righteous ones and put them into exile men like you probably heard the name daniel before he took men like daniel and his friends and he put them into captivity and he preserved them and then he brought them back to the land and isaiah is on the front end of this you're going to preach isaiah until the cities are destroyed until The land is desolate, and you are going to preach. They will harden their hearts, but I will preserve my people. You see, a performance may wow you. It may make you cry, but it cannot change your life. An attraction may get people in the door, but it can't change a person's heart. Grace Baptist Church will, as long as the Lord allows me to stand in this pulpit, will be a word-based ministry because it is the word of God that changes hearts and changes lives. And it's going to harden some and some won't like it and they're going to leave. We're in good company. But some will repent. 10%, that's all Isaiah got, 10%. And yet... He says, continue in the proclamation of my word. Let me just finish quickly in the last few minutes. Verse 8, back in chapter 55. So this leads us to the question, what do we do? Well, Isaiah reminds us of a very profound truth. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For the heavens are higher than the earth. So are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing which I sent it what are we going to do pastor well i'll tell you what we're not going to do we're not going to rest in our own wisdom because so often the church gurus of our day they get in their conference room and they go to their conferences and they speak here's the seven easy steps to breaking a thousand Here's the seven easy steps to have your ministry become a premier place with a huge platform. All you have to do are these seven things. Package it right, sell it right, and boom, you're in the big time. Sure. I guess. Except I think that is profoundly resting on the wisdom of men because i will tell you that as i consider scripture and as i look through the bible and i I don't have time to go into all of this particularly but we are all legalists at heart whether we want to admit that or not and this legalism falls into one of two camps there is the laws of don't that's the legalism i grew up under my spirituality is based on what i don't do I don't listen to certain music. I don't go to certain places. I don't wear certain clothes. I don't do certain things. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't. And thereby, I am spiritual. That form of legalism has been replaced by a fancier version of legalism. It's the legalism of I do instead of spirituality based on what i don't do magically in our current christian culture spirituality is now based on what i do do think about the pharisees i pray three times a day i fast interject your own language i go to church when the doors are open i give money faithfully to this church i do I do I do and now instead of judging everybody on what they do that you don't do we judge them on what they don't do that we do either way guess what same problem it's still legalism grace alone Christ alone is the answer so let me give you in closing our plan you ready because I think it's based in Scripture What's our plan for 2022 stay out of the emergency room is a really good one we've been failing at that lately as a family we as a church are called to make disciples that's where we're lost in the weeds a little bit but that's what we're talking about making disciples is being evangelistic that's true but my dear friend as I've said before Pastor Wes has said as well our worship services are not for and geared toward unbelievers I think that's unbiblical we are called to growth in christ not church growth for the purpose of worldly success our strategic plans clever presentations and flashy programs will win us a crowd and achieve us what worldly success says we ought to be after but let me remind you that god's thoughts are not our thoughts think about this for a moment think about god's plan in the old testament to reach the nations he chose israel this pitiful little country surrounded by her enemies other than little blips on the radar they were nothing of importance nothing of significance and yet God's plan was to use this nation for redemptive purposes and God's plan for the New Testament age is the New Testament Church a place comprised of saved sinners And so what do we do? Well, let me give you four practices that we are going to commit to because I think they are biblical. The first one may shock you. We're going to preach God's word. We're not going to sprinkle Bible verses in to make it sound good. We're not going to do, as that pastor that I mentioned, we are not going to take our wisdom and mix it in with a little bit of Bible so it sounds like Christianese and it sounds like the corporate world or it sounds like a TED Talk. Preachers are called, like the apostles, to preach the Word. I read this illustration. I love it. The pulpit, think about it. I, I get an hour or so, 45 minutes or so of your time every week. That's it, generally, unless you come to one of my weekly classes. Other people are impacting you far more than I am. Probably. And yet, this is the steering wheel of our ministry, this wooden thing right here. And as long as I have the privilege of standing here, I will preach the scripture not about your felt needs. In fact, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Timothy, I tell you, I charge you in the presence of God and Christ in 2 Timothy, who is judge of the living and the dead, that you are to preach the word, Timothy. We're going to preach the scripture. We're going to do it to the best of our ability. But we're going to preach the word. Number 2, you know what else we're going to do? Here's our plan. You ready? We're going to sing biblical truth. As I mentioned, some churches the music is primarily a performance to attract people. As one writer commented, the volume sometimes can be so loud the congregation can't even hear one another singing. Now I know that some of you would say you would prefer others to not hear you sing. And yet I would suggest to you that based on passages like Colossians 3.16 where Paul says that we are to teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. It is part of our command as a believer to come together as the body of Christ and sing Sing pop songs that sound like love songs to Jesus? Or sing doctrinally sound songs that make us dwell and think on the truth of Scripture? I'm voting for the second. That we will sing God's truth. Number three, we're going to observe the ordinances. We're going to baptize those who believe, and we are going to practice the Lord's Supper. How does that win anybody to Christ? Well, it's a beautiful picture of what redemption is, is it not? The very act of observing the Lord's Supper is a picture of God's grace. And let me remind you of the imagery that Isaiah gives us, that my word, the Bible says, will not return empty, but your plans and your fancy programs will. I'm going to give you the fourth one. And this is the one I'm most concerned about, to be honest with you. And that is prayer. We strategize all the time. What we want, what we deserve, and we devise as many plans as we can, and very often devoid of prayer. colossians 4 paul says continue steadfastly in prayer every revival that i'm aware of was predicated on two things two practices the preaching of god's word and prayer my dear friend it is not enough to have the right practice We have to implement the right practice through the Lord's power and strength found in times of prayer. I'm going to say this this morning. I remember when I first became pastor here at Grace, and we had a Wednesday night prayer time. And I would stand down here and I would teach, and I would say, okay, let's take prayer requests, let's break up and pray. And it would be me and two other people praying in this room because everybody else left. Are we a praying church? I mean, this is an easy one, right? I mean, this is an easy one to tee up and have an altar call and everybody comes because we'd all say our prayer lives are not what they're supposed to be. Put that aside for a minute. Are we a praying ministry? Are you a praying believer? Might it be that the magic sauce, notice if you're listening to this without visual error quotes, the magic sauce may very well be being hindered because we're doing all of this in our own strength? Might it be that what's missing is a vibrant prayer life privately and corporately? I was reading this morning. It, I have been so consistent this year with my morning prayer time and my morning devotion. I have not missed the day yet. If you missed the joke, today's only the second day of the year. But I'm doing really well doing really well I opened my one of my devotionals I'm rereading I've I've read it many times before you probably read it too and with this we'll we'll close in just a moment it's from the book morning and evening by Spurgeon and I, I opened it this morning just praying for my wife praying for us praying for our ministry and i was about ready to come in here i wasn't even you know i was kind of sermonizing was sort of done and i won't read the whole thing but this is the words i have read this morning this is spurgeon january 2nd in his book morning and evening he said it is interesting to remark how large a portion of sacred writing is occupied with the subject of prayer either in furnishing examples enforcing precepts or pronouncing promises he says this we scarcely open the Bible before we read then began men to call upon the name of the Lord he goes on and he said we may be certain that whatever God has made prominent in his word he intended to be conspicuous not inconspicuous conspicuous in our lives If he has said this much about prayer, it is because he knows we have much need of it. So deep are our necessities that until we are in heaven, we must not cease to pray. Spurgeon goes on, and I love this. I was skipping a few lines. He says, prayer is the lisping of the believing infant. I love that. The shout of the fighting believer, the requiem of a dying saint falling asleep in Jesus. He said, Pray this year. Thou mayest listen to this. Okay, if you, if you fell asleep, listen to what he says. Because we pray. I prayed this morning, Lord, I really would like my wife to feel better. That's great. Good prayer. Wonderful. But there's more profound prayers. This is what Spurgeon said. Pray that this year you might be holy, humble. Zealous. Oh, I need the last one. Patient. Having closer communion with Christ. And, and I love this. It goes along with Isaiah. And enter often into the banqueting house of his love. Isaiah 55 1. Come, you who are thirsty, come and eat, come and drink. The motto for this year, he said, must be continue in prayer. I see nothing in Scripture that demands a church to have a dog and pony show every Sunday. I do see commands for the church to faithfully proclaim God's Word, to sing, to observe the ordinances, and to pray. And here's the beauty. In Isaiah 55, notice the result, verse 12. For then if you repent you will go out in joy and be led in peace isn't that what our hearts long for the answer to your problems this morning not to be overly simplistic is not to have your unmet needs met and your unrealized dreams fulfilled it is to repent of your sin as an unbeliever or as a believer come to the banquet table of the lord feast on his mercy his goodness and forgiveness and no matter what comes your way or my way you can experience you will go out in joy and in peace let's pray father i thank you this morning for the opportunity to share this text much more i could want to say desire to say but lord i pray that you would take these these words as imperfect as they were and use them to remind us of what is important i fear that very often as a church not just this one here but churches in our country get so far afield we worry what that pastor is doing or that church is doing and we rest in our own wisdom and yet we're scarcely before your throne God may you forgive us for our lack of prayer for our lack of diligently sharing the gospel for our lack of faithfulness because if we are faithful you will provide the fruit it's not generated in us it's generated through your spirit And so God, I pray that in these closing moments, you would stir hearts. Your word will not return void and empty. And I pray that the word this morning would not harden someone's heart, but that it would soften their heart and show them their need of repentance. As we find in this beautiful reminder that Isaiah said, you, God, will abundantly pardon. No matter what we have done, how egregious our sin may be, Your grace is more. And I thank you, Lord, for the hope that we have in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to close on a song. And as we sing today, as always, I invite you to respond as the Lord leads. Amen. My heart has been stirred this morning. I hope yours has as well. And I want us to close uh, with that same theme that Pastor opened with from Isaiah 55. Come, you who are thirsty, you who are heavy laden. Come lay your heavy load at the Master's feet. Let's stand once again as we sing. Let's sing it together. Come lay your heavy load down at the Master's feet. Your shame will be removed. Your joy will be complete. Come crucify your pride and enter as a child. For those who bow down low, he'll lift up to his side. What joy, what peace has come.